Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So um, the topic for the evening is uh, seeing everyone as your benefactor. Mm-hmm. We um, just finished a loving kindness retreat at Spirit Rock uh, just last Friday. Uh, some people, about uh, 20 or so of the 90 people who were there, are continuing and sitting um, the Vipassana retreat that um, that Joseph Goldstein and other teachers are leading right now. Um, Teaching metta or loving kindness, it's a, it's a very rich experience as uh, being on the, the guiding end, the teaching end. Um, it has a somewhat different flavor than a straight mindfulness practice. Um, a lot comes up when you do metta. You think, oh, great, how wonderful, we're just going to fall in love with the world and uh, clear sailing and I'll just let my love shine, let my life shine. And that can happen, that does happen often at some point, but it takes a little while to get there um, for many people because part of the process, first of all, it's, it's, it's work of just saying phrases maybe, whatever phrases resonate with you may be safe, May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be peaceful or live with ease. And then may you, and uh, extending it to various categories, if you're familiar with the practice, you start with yourself and then go to a benefactor and then move on to a dear friend and then to a neutral person, then to a difficult person and then on to all beings. And you're just programming your heart and your mind to wish well. And with that, as often can happen, uh, it's a purification process and you see everything that gets in the way of all of that good stuff. You see your pettiness and your judgment or your doubt, you know, oh my God, am I supposed to do this for nine days? Are they kidding? Or I'll never make it and... uh, or, oh, I can't believe I did that when I was 22, and what was I thinking, and I'm such a rotten person. And Oh, yeah, bring some loving kindness to that. Okay, yes, and bring some... You're holding everything that comes up with loving kindness, or even just simply kindness. That's good enough. You don't have to get very lofty and think, loving kindness... Yes, I'm such a spiritual person because I'm developing loving kindness. That's, it's a beautiful word, but if you just go for kindness, oh, I'm just learning to be kind with myself and with others. Oh, I'm just learning to uh, be of goodwill and wish well. And you don't need to go for bells and whistles or a gusher of just you know, infinite love for all, even just a little trickle counts. You're just even opening up that channel and whatever happens, 
as I said, you're holding with kindness. So all the stuff that gets in the way, oh, my spaciness or my, my uh, negative mind states or my doubt or whatever, oh yes, can I hold that with kindness too? And the amazing thing is, it works. It really does. Uh, you know, it's, I've been doing this for a long time, both mindfulness practice and, and uh, metta practice, uh, leading retreats. And at the beginning, you know, people are going through a hard time because it's settling in. Your body and your mind aren't used to that. And um, I have a lot of faith after all these years. But there's always this question, gee, I wonder if it's not going to work this time. You know? It's... It always does. <laughs> um, and it was really beautiful uh, to see people in their process and support people, even just for people to come together with that common intention. We are all doing this. We're all supporting each other and just learning to be a bit kinder. You know, like the Dalai Lama says, my religion is kindness. That's as good as any Dharma talk that, that you need. Um, and to have that mutual support, I mean, how, how rare is that? 90 people coming and just practicing opening their heart and being kind with each other in really optimal supportive circumstances. So it's, it's quite a, a beautiful privilege to be part of that. And to see the, that softening and the armoring coming down. And as I said, the, the second category is that of benefactor. Um, and it's interchangeable with the first. The first being wishing well towards yourself. But many people, as you can probably imagine, that's not the easiest direction. Even though it's supposed to be, uh, theoretically, you start with the simplest or the one that's closest to you and simplest, and then you expand out. Uh, maybe that was so 2,500 years ago uh, uh, to naturally... Um, feel goodwill towards yourself. And the Buddha said, you can look the whole world over and not find anyone more deserving of kindness than yourself. Uh, but for many people, um, the, the self is, a, is a, a challenge. And that's why we introduce, along with self, that very first day, the category of benefactor, which you can use as a default if self is... Um, is a challenge for you. And at any time, you can move between these. It's a very customizable uh, practice. Because a benefactor is somebody that you feel grateful for, or grateful to, that they've enriched your life, or inspired you. Maybe they've been uh, a teacher, or a guide, or a support, or a really good friend. Can even It can be your pet, can be your benefactor. Often it, it is, you know, your, your dog or your cat that you just naturally feel so um, 
easily appreciative and, and loving for. Um, and it can be somebody that you don't know, like the Dalai Lama or you know, some, some teacher who's inspired you. Often, though, people um, connect with, with those who've um, been either guides or mentors or, or teachers or supports in, in some way or uh, you know, a, a loving grandmother or um, relative. Because it, it naturally opens the heart and it's easy to feel that gratitude spills over into, oh, I wish you well. I really do wish you well. It's, it's part of, the, it's, it's inherent with that thank you. Mm. So it was a, a beautiful uh, retreat and going through that with everybody. And then at the very end of the retreat, uh, it just so happened that um, uh, that went straight from the retreat to this gathering, uh, a small gathering that I was uh, fortunate enough for both the timing and uh, an opportunity uh, in, uh, in San Rafael for um, one of my benefactors, uh, the, uh, the monastic Ajahn Sumedho, who happened to be coming through town. And uh, was not, he did a, uh, a public talk up in City of 10,000 Buddhas the week before, but this was a very um, private gathering for, uh, with some friends while he was in the area, uh, having a meal with, with him. Um, and I, I was a little bit late. Sally and I came late from the, the meta retreat, and then uh, we, we joined that after, um, after the retreat and, and got a chance to spend some time with him. And uh, Ajahn Sumedho is a very down-to-earth, very natural guy who, uh, once he, he starts talking, he has all of these great stories of... Uh, of, of practice and very self um, self effacing and, uh, uh, and he likes to kind of poke poke fun at himself in his when he 's talking and he shared this story, which really was what made me um, uh, decide to talk about this topic. He was telling the story of when he first became a monk in Thailand. This was in 1967, I think, 66 or 67. Uh, And he had been uh, drawn, he had been in the Peace Corps and had always been drawn to uh, Asia. He'd been in the the Navy and then he was in the Peace Corps. Um, And he decided... Um, that he wanted to become a monastic. It was actually during the Vietnam War, um, which he did not want to be a part of, and and just was yearning for inner peace and to find what real peace was about. And he became a monastic. He decided to uh, become what's called a samanera, a, a, a novice, and wore uh, robes, uh, on his own, and he practiced for a year on his own, very, very diligently, but without a teacher. And it's not so easy to be doing intensive practice, which he was doing, 
on your own without a teacher in Thailand. And he um, happened to meet this monastic, this other monastic, a Thai man, who um, said he, he, he met Ajahn Sumedho. Um, I, I don't know if Ajahn Sumedho had taken that name at that point yet. I, I'm, I'm not sure of that, actually. But Ajahn Sumedho said, Do you, uh, I'm, I'm looking for a teacher. And this fellow said, Are you lucky? <laughs> because I study with the best teacher there is which happened to be Ajahn Chah, uh, who, was very, who was little known, not known at, at, at all in, in at those days, at least to Westerners, whose uh, monastery it was in uh, northeast Thailand. And, he, and this guy just was so overboard, he said, he's the greatest, and he went on and on, you know, when somebody can get very enthusiastic and... Ajahn Sumedho saying, well, you know, I, I wonder if he's really that good, but uh, sounds like he is, and uh, he's worth checking out. So he decided to, to go, and he met Ajahn Chah. And clearly, he made the grade, because uh, Ajahn Sumedho, uh, that was the, he found his teacher, and he became um, a student, the first Western student of Ajahn Chah. And people were kind of amazed. This this American guy who was um, practicing with them in robes, uh, and he loved being practicing and being with Ajahn Chah. The fellow who told him, this kind of fanatical fellow, also uh, he was a bit overboard and and not so balanced. And was very rigid in his ways about you've got to do it this way and here's the rules and, and everything has to be just so. And um, he was really not so easy to be with. And Ajahn Sumedho had his doubts about him, but he was so grateful that he had become, uh, that he had pointed him to Ajahn Chah. In time, this fellow, whose name was Ajahn, I think it's Sanai, I'm not quite sure of that. That's what I heard Ajahn Sumedho say. But he was referred to as Ajahn Sanai, and Ajahn means teacher. Um, he l- disrobed, left the order, and then uh, fell into hard times and uh, got into alcohol and became um, an alcoholic. And he, would, um, he was basically living out on the streets. And every now and then, he'd find a monastery to take him in. And Ajahn Sumedho uh, saw him from time to time. He saw this... The, the, they crossed paths and he saw what had happened to this fellow and he was like, he was really, you know, disgusted by it. And he went to Ajahn Chah and he said, you know, he started really uh, bad-mouthing this uh, 
this fellow. And Ajahn Chah looked at him and he said, don't you ever say anything bad about this man. He is your benefactor. He brought you to the Dharma. He brought you to me. And when you see him, you are to address him as Ajahn Sanai. When Ajahn Sumedho got instructions from his teacher, he followed it. And that was the beginning of a new way of looking at this man. And he said he would go and see him at some monastery, run into him, and, uh, or out on the street even, and clearly uh, alcoholic, drunk, whatever, but he would address him, hello, Ajahn Sanat. And when he did, the man sat up and be, be remembered who he was and, or at least that part of his life. And Ajahn Sumedho always treated him with respect. And that was his, one of his practices. As it turned out, at, at one point, this man... Um, was um, run over by a, a lorry, by a truck, uh, maybe. he I don't know, he was probably drunk and in the wrong place at the wrong time. So he didn't have that much longer a life. But when he told that story, maybe as you hear it now, uh, it really hit everybody in the room. Oh, of course, Ajahn Sanai, Thank you. Thank you for being my benefactor. No matter where you are now, what, what times you've fallen into, thank you so much. And this is something that um, to reflect on the people in your life who you've benefited from, who maybe have fallen off the pedestal. First, we'll look at the, the classic benefactor category. Somebody who might have been a benefactor at some point. Somebody who perhaps was a teacher for you or a good friend or who took you under their wing. Uh, and then somehow... Uh, their, uh, the, the, the luster uh, vanished and, and you maybe saw other sides of them and they weren't the idealization that you held them up to. Does that ever happen to you? Uh, I know it's happened to me to, um, and this has been a practice of mine for a while, uh, when I, I have seen people who've been true benefactors who somehow disappointed me in some way. They weren't quite you know, the, the way I wanted them to be or they did something that, that was a bit off in my mind and 
they fell down hard from the pedestal. And that's a, a tremendous loss when somebody who you've been grateful for, the heart closes in some way or feels some judgment in some way. I uh, put in my book, Awakening Joy, uh, a piece about this, in, I think in the chapter on, on Metta, um, where uh, I, uh, when Adam, who's now 27, when he was, when he was uh, a, a boy, a little boy, I used to, we used to read, one of my favorite things in the world was reading uh, with Adam uh, each morning or uh, sometimes in the evening. And uh, we went through lots of really good books and really good series. And we went through this one series called The Pridane Chronicles about this hero, Taran, Taran, Taran the Wanderer. Um, and um, there was this one book, the second book in the, in the f- book of five, um, it's called The Black Cauldron. And you know, it's these classical, you know, the good guys and the bad guys, and you know, it's whether it's Lord of the Rings or the, uh, all of them, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the classic archetype. And Taron was this kid who you're rooting for, but he's not really, you know, he's kind of like a Luke Skywalker in, in training. He hadn't quite gotten there yet. And his mentor was this um, very wise being, Gwydion. And in this, chat, in this book, one of the good guys turns uh, over to the bad side. And at some point, um, he is, uh, he's killed in battle. And, um, and there, at the very end, when the good guys win, they're honoring all, the, all the, the heroes on the good guys' side. And Gwydion says, and now we must honor, I forget his name, this, uh, this one who had turned over to the bad side. And Taran is saying, you're going to honor him? How could you honor him? And very much like Ajahn Chah saying, if he hadn't been there at this point and then done this act of bravery and been right there in that, in that battle before he turned and got confused, we would not be victorious. And so we have to honor him. I remember reading that and actually just tearing up thinking of all the people who I had taken off the pedestal. Actually, that was a, I remember it now, 20 plus years later, that one, that was what woke me up to this. Hmm. This is a, a, a very um, um, classical practice in Buddhism. There's a, a famous um, uh, teaching. If you see the... Uh, no, I'm going I'm to backtrack. Uh, a, a, another story with Jack and Ajahn Chah. 
you know, Jack Cornfield, Ajahn Chah was his main teacher. And Jack at some point said, you know, you don't look very, everybody around here, there's this wrong with them and this wrong and they're sloppy in their practice and sometimes you don't even look very enlightened. You know, Jack had a lot of, uh, it's a Pali word, chutzpah. Uh, um, and Ajahn Chah said, you know, it's a good thing I don't fit your image of an enlightened being because then you'd be busy thinking that the Buddha is outside of yourself. So it's both to honor those outside, but not to think that that's where the Buddha is. And and there's that famous uh, line in Zen that says, if you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. Which is another way of saying, if you think the Buddha is outside of yourself, let go of that idea and see through it. So first with these, with these um, classical benefactors, people who've somehow um, fallen off your pedestal. And sometimes they're teachers who have uh, really gone astray, as you know all the various scandals of Roshis and Rinpoches and... Uh, evangelical um, uh, teachers and you know it's a very high stakes game being in in uh, in the Dharma seat because people project on you like crazy and if you start believing your reviews uh, you can get a little bit inflated but if you've been touched by something that someone has said before they got confused, that shouldn't negate the wisdom that was coming through them. And there's a, a couple of classical uh, examples that I can think of. Um, Rajneesh, known as Osho, also. Brilliant teacher, brilliant, and I know uh, some uh, some of my close friends studied with him, and it got very weird towards the end. If you're old enough to remember, but his early teachings were brilliant. Another one is uh, Da Frijan, who went through a number of incarnations and who got kind of out there towards the end. Uh, and you know, not somebody that I would recommend that, that someone study with. But his early teachings, brilliant. So what's going on there? At that point where there's brilliance coming through, it's just that that being has, has gotten out of the way and the wisdom can come through. It can get distorted and confused later on, but if you've been inspired and moved by that wisdom, that doesn't negate that. And you can still wish them well. The projections that people put on others in the Dharma seat, you know, it's really, uh, the Buddha talks about praise and blame. The Buddha was taught, was, was one name for the Buddha was the teacher of those who could be taught. 
I love that, that name. The teacher of those who could be caught, not uh, who could be taught. Not everybody caught by the Dharma. Not everybody could the Buddha reach. And some people said, you know, who is this guy? He's kind of weird. You know. But, and he said, there will be praise and there will be blame. Nobody escapes from blame, even, even the Buddha, even Jesus. And when you aren't rooted in, um, grounded either with peers, it's one of the good things about Spirit Rock, we have a lot of colleagues to keep all the teachers, uh, you know, in line, so to speak, yeah. or at least, least uh, uh, aligned with values. Uh, either uh, peers or rooted in um, in uh, moral behavior, then it can get really weird. People, there is Sharon Salzberg, one of the teachers um, that probably most of you know. At one point, she was saying, "God, I can't. Uh, I, all of these projections are too much." And she would, and she'd say, "You know, don't don't think that I'm some kind of a holy." Uh, person, I am very human, and I make mistakes. Um, you know, lots of mistakes in my life. And then people would say, "Oh, you're so humble too." <laughs> yeah. uh, there's no getting around it. The Tibetans say that you should live uh, at least three valleys away from your teacher, because if you're too close to your teacher or if you're doing guru yoga, which is big in Tibetan practice, and you start to see their humanness, you could get very disillusioned. <clears throat> so this is one thing, actually, before we, we go on, I'd just like you to reflect, perhaps, um, for a moment, if there's anybody who fits in this category for you, somebody who you've really benefited from somewhere in your past, and it, perhaps you're uh, a teacher or a relative or uh, somebody who has inspired you and then they seem to fall off their pedestal. They didn't quite measure up and they disappointed you in their humanness. See if you can get in touch with the original gift that you, or gifts that you received from them. And just get uh, connected with that feeling of gratitude that they've enriched your life. Even if there were later disappointments they enriched your life and just wish them well. And perhaps even get in touch with a, a moment of gratitude. Thank you for what I received from you. Let your heart open
just notice how it feels to open with some appreciation. Doesn't mean you have to condone anything that happened afterwards. But just acknowledging what was so, how you benefited. So that's this first more obvious category of benefactors. Then there's all the others. The, uh, obviously, those close to us, who have been close to us, and it is kind of amazing. And here's uh, a, a wedding coming up, how uh, two people can fall in love and say, yes, um, I found who I'm looking for, and how often it turns out that the heart closes, that there's disappointment, that expectations aren't met, or that people grow apart, and then then the heart closes. And there can be pain, and even acrimony, with somebody who touched you and opened your heart. It's so interesting. The heart can open and the heart can close. And often when, when we do the loving kindness practice and people start picking out a dear friend and then it gets complicated. You know, Oh, I picked this person because it was going to be, I just so much wanted to send them love. And then you think, yeah, but they really did blow it on this. And what about this when, when they disappoint me and you're saying, oh my God, I thought I was filled with love and I just have all of this judgment and you know, that's part of the deal. But to once again feel a connection and gratitude for how that person has opened your heart. And even if they're no longer in your life, to wish them well, wherever you are. You came together, had some karma together, and then finished your work and went your separate ways. And if you look back in that person and your heart closes, yeah, they really did disappoint me in the end. You've lost something really precious the possibility of having your heart open in appreciation for somebody who's touched you. So wishing well, uh, it doesn't mean that you even like them. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho has this uh, great teaching about, about metta. He says, you know, sometimes people think that metta means, oh, I've got to like somebody. No, it doesn't mean you like them. If you do, all the better. But even if you don't like them or like the way they are or the or the, 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 the their their style or their how what they've 
how they've unfolded in their life. You might have judgments say, oh, that's, that's not, it's too bad, that person. You can still feel compassion for them and you can feel gratitude and appreciation. That person helped me learn to love. What an extraordinary gift. And if you can have your heart open in appreciation instead of close in disappointment, they were part of your karmic journey. To honor them that way. So before we move on, you might think of somebody who fits that category for you. Somebody who perhaps you were close with at some point and who you're not anymore, whether you've just grown apart or that you somehow got hurt or were disappointed in some way, get in touch with the fact that they were part of your unfolding. And for a moment... To see them as a benefactor in some way. They've enriched your life. They opened your heart. Perhaps they taught you a bit how to love a bit better. And just wish them well. Wherever you are, I wish you well. And I appreciate what I received in our relationship. And notice how that feels to allow your heart to open. If it's not ready to, then don't force it. Then just... Be right where you are. You might not be ready to. But if there's some way that you benefited, just tune into that if you can. May you be happy and at peace and feel all the goodness inside. and wake up to uh, the highest understanding. Okay. So now we move on to the difficult category. Advanced metta. Uh, advanced benefactor. And again, um, you are not um, trying to be anywhere other than where you are, but the metta practice then opens up to the difficult and sending, wishing them well as well. And it's, uh, it's interesting that 
all the people in your life who've been difficult for you have also helped shape you and helped you grow in some way. And I am not mm, suggesting that you uh, are glad about the difficulties or that you uh, are grateful that, um, that they are who they are. There's some pretty difficult people in this world, both close to us or out there in the world, people of power who cause great harm or who perhaps have caused great, uh, great harm to us through their own confusion and ignorance. But to see these also as part of your cast of characters that have shaped you, that if it's been hard, have opened you to some new understanding of the human experience and perhaps some compassion for what it would be like to have that painful heart or learned, taught you to have courage and strength to say no, that they also are in your movie. The movie that has brought you to where you are now, where you are sincerely wanting to wake up and learn to open your heart. In, uh, in Shanti Deva's Guide to the Bodhisattva Way of Life, this is uh, again and again one of the points that you see everybody as worthy of your kindness and compassion, even the most um, seemingly undeserving. Mm. Here's a, a line. Uh, and so we should be undeterred by hardships, for by influence of use and habit, people even come to grieve for one whose very name strikes terror in their hearts. And this is, uh, this is from uh, Pema Chodron talking about um, the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama was teaching in front of a large audience when he reserved, received word that Mao Zedong had died. He paused and then started to weep. For most Tibetan people, nobody was more feared than Mao. Yet the Dalai Lama's first reaction was to weep, perhaps in part because of the suffering Mao Zedong would go through as a result of his cruelty to the Chinese and Tibetan people. <clears throat> and the, uh, the Dalai Lama has said a number of times, the Chinese people, have t the Chinese and Chinese government has taught me so much about compassion. That's a very high level of practice, but it's something that we might just consider that everybody is part of your, what in Tibetans, uh, Tibetan teachings call your magical display. 
the, the display of, of your life in this physical world. It's all maya, all illusion anyway, and they are part of your movie to help you wake up. And if you, if you really take to heart the phrase, I take refuge in the Dharma, then you are taking, you are saying, whatever life is giving me is part of my awakening. I can use this too as part of my awakening. This takes a very big mind and a heart as wide as the world, as the, as the saying goes. But it's possible to see everybody as your benefactor. And not only people, but, um, but even non-humans and inanimate objects as well as your benefactor. And I was just reflecting on uh, uh, Ramana Maharshi, whose benefactor was the mountain, Arunachala. That was his benefactor. He never left that mountain once he got there. And he, uh, that, was his, that was his protector. It was as alive as any other benefactor. Or the Buddha, before he's enlightened, touching Gaia, touching the earth, saying thank you and for all the witness that you bearing witness to all the the eons of of work that I've done so to just stretch this and maybe for a moment it's almost time to go so we'll we'll just have this as a closing uh, meditation Um, just for a moment seeing everything in your life as supporting your awakening. I take refuge in the Dharma. Everyone and everything in your life can be held with that gratitude. If you're not quite there, then be right where you are, but see it as a possibility. This is what life is giving you. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. You have the perfect script with the perfect cast of characters. It's really saying thank you to life. And appreciating this amazing ride that you're on. Just a journey of awakening. So we can dedicate 
our evening together for our own well-being rippling out to everyone we know and sharing whatever goodness and merit that we create here together with all beings everywhere. May all benefit from our practice and our time here together. And may we wish well for all and appreciate every expression of life in this universe. May all know the highest happiness and peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.